study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, good evening, everyone. Pray you're doing well this week. As uh, we continue in our study in the Old Testament, we are in the book of Hosea. You can get your Bible ready for chapter 9. We're going to cover chapters 9 through 11. And then next week we'll finish Hosea. Then we'll go into the book of Joel. And Joel speaks a lot about the day of the Lord, those very things that we're going to be talking about in the Olivet Discourse on um, Sunday uh, as we started that. And we encourage you to come. We're going to be looking at the signs, the birth pangs of the end of the age, the signs of his coming. We're also going to talk about persecution. Uh, We're going to talk about the Great Tribulation period. And it's amazing as we go through the scriptures how much of the scripture talks about the consummation of things and the kingdom of God that will be established and, and the coming of Christ. And it's so important for us, especially in the days in which we are in, to understand these things. So invite somebody out as we continue in the Olivet Discourse. We only got through the first three verses of chapter 24. We set the stage uh, to that teaching as Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem uh, and said, your house is left to you desolate. And we know that uh, Jesus would talk about the temple being destroyed. Now he's going to talk about the signs of his coming. And we want to be wise and discerning the days in which we are in. So, uh, And the very things that we're going to be talking about, we see going on around us. And the culmination of those things do happen in Revelation chapter 6 as Jesus begins to open up the seals And those first six seals that are opened up, we're going to look at that on Sunday as it parallels the signs that Jesus speaks of. Uh, We also, you know, we'll be talking about then after that persecution. And I bring that up because now we need to be praying as we've seen a nation fall to evil. Uh, Afghanistan fall to the Taliban's so quickly, uh, quicker than... um, Obviously, our leader uh, and our leadership thought it would happen. And there are people, as you see the scenes, it it very much grieves our hearts. But know this, that there are some Christians in Afghanistan. There are some missionaries that have been there, Christians that are there. And and they're hiding right now. And they're going to face tremendous persecution. So we want to uh, pray for our brothers and sisters. Uh, The Taliban um, already are beheading people. Uh, raping women. Um, It's just a very, very hard, dark scene. And one of the things that Hosea shows us, and we'll see it again, what happens to a nation that gets further away from the Lord. It just gets more dark. And as you see that in Afghanistan, uh, how there's going to be Taliban rule, and um, the people that had... Uh, experience some democracy, at least in Kabul and some of those areas. Um, they they are now going to be under the rule of uh, the Taliban, uh, and it, it's just going to be it's difficult to see and watch, and it breaks our hearts. Father, we do pray as we get into our study that we have brothers and sisters right now that are very frightened, and they are hiding right now, and they are facing great persecution. And Lord, we know that um, there are Christians all over the world. It really is sobering when we think about it. Those in Iran, those in the Middle East, those in North Korea, other parts of Asia, South America, Africa, that are experiencing great persecutions at the hands of those who hate Christianity, who hate Jesus. Lord, the, the darkness that is taking over Afghanistan 
is very difficult to watch. So we just pray for them, for strength and endurance, your hand to be upon them in every way. And Lord, if we do cry out, Maranatha, desiring for you to come back, and we can't wait till when you will uh, set everything right and rule and reign from Jerusalem. And Lord, we just pray for tonight that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. Lord, we just pray that you would just, um, there's something here, even though the words are difficult that Jose are speaking, but there's something here for us that, that we can take heed to and understand and make application in our lives. So we just pray that we would do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now keep in mind, Hosea, that he's ministering to the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, during the reign of Jeroboam II. Everything seems to be fine externally. Economically, they're doing well. Militarily, they're strong at this time that Hosea's on the scene. The Assyrians had declined in power for a short time before they would raise back up to power um, and then come and take them away captive. But Hosea is speaking to a nation. We really see the condition of the nation spiritually, morally, um, that there's a lot of problems here. We, we are going to see that chapter 9, he continues to talk about the sins of Israel and what they have done in their false worship, the violence, the corruptness, the immorality that is there. And again, to remind you that as we see in these books that we go through, what happens to a people and what happens to a nation when we get further away from the Lord. Um, sin is the reproach of any nation. And it just ends up being dark and it ends up being devastating and, and it ends up to where that lawlessness and evil begins to take over. We know that in the last days that lawlessness will abound. And when the church is taken out in the rapture of the church, then lawlessness will begin to spread very, very quickly. And the one who's called the lawless one, the Antichrist, will take rule during that time. So we as Christians, we are a restraining factor. Keep that in mind. Our prayers, you know, as, as we are ministering in our communities and in this world, there is a restraining factor that is going on. And once the church is gone in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that which restrains will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. I believe that's the Holy Spirit that indwells the church. Once the church is gone, and then the lawless one will come on the scene. And so it's very sobering to think about these things. And the things that we see going on around us in our world point to and tell us that the return of the Lord is, I believe, very nigh. And so we look at here a nation that was about ready to go into captivity, even though externally things look good. Uh, things seemed to be okay, but it wasn't okay. Let's look at chapter 9 as we continue in Hosea. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other peoples, for you have played the harlot against your God. You have made love for hire on every threshing floor. The threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fall, or that is, fail in her. So as things look good, people were having a good time. They seemed to be prospering. But here the, the word of the Lord is don't rejoice like other people because judgment is going to come. Don't rejoice at the coming expectation of a coming harvest because of your unfaithfulness. God was going to shut down the food supply, the threshing floor that is mentioned here where they thresh the wheat. It's not going to feed you. And they attributed their prosperity of, of harvest 
and the blessing of harvest to Baal, who was a false god. The plentiful harvest was about ready to end. And even as I think about our own nation, we have, in a lot of ways, stopped being thankful to God for the blessings that we have received. And we, in our own lives, as we make it personal, the application, we should always be thankful because every good gift comes from above. How God has provided for us, how he has fed us, how he supplies all our needs in Christ Jesus. We need to be thankful to him. And here they weren't. They were turning and giving thanks to the, that which was false. In verse 3, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to him. It shall be like bread of mourners to them. All who eat it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their own life. And it shall not come into the house of the Lord. So God was going to put them out of the land. And some were going to flee to Egypt. Uh, they were going to flee to Egypt to try to be free from the threats of the Assyrians. And then the Assyrians were going to take them off into captivity. And as Christians, sometimes when Christians uh, face difficulties, they will flee to the world to try to be free. They will turn to the world to try to be free. And here's the thing that we need to always remember as Christians, and the Bible teaches that, that if we will turn to the world, if we turn to sin or carnality, it doesn't bring us freedom. That is an, uh, a deception of the enemy. The enemy wants us to think that if we flee to the world or you know, flee into pleasure, uh, do our own thing, come up with our own plan, that we'll be free. But what happens is we end up in bondage. Sin brings bondage, and it brings captivity, and that's what happened to a nation here as they would go off into captivity. We need to, to stay close to the Lord. And once you're in that captivity, once you find yourself being in bondage, you end up being miserable, and it's just a miserable life to live. The Lord wants us to have a joy of life, uh, a joyful life in Him, to truly be free. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because if you don't know the Lord, if you're not walking in his ways, truly, you don't have freedom. Um, you're going to be in bondage to the world. And, and you may think you have freedom, but you'll be in bondage to deception and to darkness if you pursue those things of the world and pursue carnality and sin. In verse 5, what will you do in no point a day, in the day of the feast of the Lord? For indeed they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up, Memphis shall bury them, nettles uh, shall possess their valuables of silver, thorns shall be in their tents. Interesting. What will you do in the days of captivity? The land of your possessions will be barren, like thorns, thorns that are in your dwelling place, thorns that are in your tents. You don't want that. Um, it's going to be just painful. It's going to be very difficult. And then in verse 7, the days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows the prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane because of the greatness of your iniquity and great enmity. Uh, as we read verse 7, God was patient. He was long-suffering towards Israel. But now judgment has come. And, and it's a very sobering verse. We can kind of read it, and it doesn't really impact us. But the days of punishment have come. 
There is going to be a time when God will pour out his wrath in a Christ-rejected world. He is long-suffering with us, uh, and, and he uh, is long-suffering, that his desire that none should perish but all come to repentance. Um, he is patient with us, but sin is going to be judged, and, and that time of judgment will come eventually. The, the days of recompense will come. And in this, as we read in verse 8, the watchman Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is the uh, fowler's snare in all his ways, enmity in the house of his God. They are deeply corrupted, as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Now, a couple things here. that uh, As he talks about the watchman, he talks about uh, the prophet of fowler's Fowler snares in all his way. And as he has talked about this spiritual man in verse 7 is insane. Um, there's a couple things you can, uh, ways you can look at this. The prophets, you know, were fools, the false prophets, of course, because uh, they were not giving uh, truth to the people. They were looking to that which was false and, and was not helping the people at all. When he says the spiritual man is insane in verse 7, it could be speaking of God's view of the false prophet, or it could be also that the people of Israel thought that the prophet Hosea was speaking about judgment, that, that he was one uh, that is insane. Sometimes people will say to you and to me that as we say, hey, things are, are coming to a head, uh, there is going to be a time of great tribulation, uh, seven years, such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And people will say, you're insane. You're insane. What do you mean? That's not going to happen. What do you mean there's going to be a rapture and there's going to be uh, an antichrist? There's going to be, you know, tribulation and all this. But we know what the Bible says and we can have confidence that it will be fulfilled just as the Lord said it's going to be fulfilled. And then as we read in verses 8 and 9 here that it's interesting that he mentions Gibeah uh, as he says, that they are deeply corrupted. The uh, Gibeah will remember their iniquity and punish their sins there in verse 9. You can think back to Judges chapter 19. Judges is a book of, it's the opposite of Joshua. And you know, when they came into the promised land, Joshua, the children of Israel, it's a book of victory, it's a book, book of faith. Uh, a generation after Joshua, uh, is the days of the judges where they would turn to the false gods and they did what was right in their own eyes. That's the whole theme of the book of Judges. And as you go through the book of Judges, it goes from bad to worse. And in Judges chapter 19, it describes the horrific crimes and perversion and violence in the days of the judges. Um, and Gibeah, what happened there, there was a concubine that was raped, that was cut up, in the 12 pieces, and it was sent to the 12 tribes of Israel. There was a huge battle that took place. You can read those chapters, Judges chapter 19 and 20. Many people were killed, all because of that, that what took place. And, and it just showed the depth and the depravity that was taking place during that time. And also, as we see here, the watchman in verse 8 is mentioned. The watchman of Ephraim is with my God. You see, even though we see that things get darker and more evil, you and I are to be a watchman on the wall. And you might remember that from the book of Ezekiel in chapter 33, that the watchman is mentioned. And the watchman would be up on the wall, and he would warn the people of impending danger that would come. 
you and I are to be watchmen in the days in which we are in. We're to blow the trumpet. We're to give truth. We're to warn the people what is coming. And, and here, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God, the one who's going to give that message. Hosea was the watchman. Hosea was the one that was given this warning that there's going to be judgment that's going to come. And you and I, we are to be faithful to our families and to people who are linked to us in our lives to be that watchman that we give the message of the Lord uh, because, you know, we care for them. We want them to know what's coming. We want them to know the truth of the gospel. And then in verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. As we read in verse 10, they were to be fruitful. They weren't abiding in the Lord. They were involved in wicked things. And it's interesting that as he mentions here, and this might ring a bell with you, as the first fruits of the fig tree in its first season. So the first figs that would come on a, on a fig tree, the first fruits, and then later on they would ripe uh, the figs later in the summer. You might recall that Jesus cursed the fig tree. Remember in Matthew's gospel during the week of Passover, uh, he sees that it had a lot of leaves, but there was no fruit, so he cursed it. And we talked about how it was an indictment against the religious leaders of Israel, against the nation. There was a lot of leaves, but there was no fruit. There was no fruit unto God. A lot of religious you know, activity and traditions and all of that that was taking place, just as it was here. You know, I don't want your sacrifices. It's not pleasing to me. In verse 4, they were doing sacrifices. They were doing feasts. They uh, had all this religiousness, but it was all towards the false idols, and it w wasn't pleasing to the Lord. Isaiah would say the same thing. The Lord would say, I'm tired of your sacrifices. I'm tired of, of you, you know, and your feast and your new moons and and your Sabbaths that are all according to that which is false. And, and that's what's being said here. There's no fruit, and you're not abiding in the Lord. And, and as he talks about Baal Peor, Numbers chapter 25 mentions that. And there was a lot of immorality and false worship that was taken in that place uh, as you look at that, and they separate themselves to that shame, immorality. They became an abomination like the thing that they loved. They became what they worshipped. They became what they worshipped. And whatever it is that you worship, listen, you'll become more like it. Now, the good news for you and for me is you and I who worship the Lord, that we should become more like the Lord. It's that sanctification process is happening in our lives by the work of the Spirit. But whatever it is, everybody worships something or someone or themselves. And whatever they worship, they become more like that. And as we read in verse 11, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will breathe them to the last man. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. Just as I saw Ephraim like a tire planted in a pleasant place. So Ephraim will bring out his children to the murderer. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. So it's kind of sobering here. Israel 
was very beautiful. It was a beautiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord said, I will give you this place, um, but uh, the birth rates are going to drop. And, and the blessing that the Lord, if you follow uh, um, uh, me as they were in the wilderness and the blessings and the cursing that you read about in the book of Deuteronomy, that he said to them that, listen, that here are the blessings if you follow me. And I'll bring the rain. You'll have plenty of harvest. You're going to multiply. You're going to be saved from your enemies. But if you forsake me, there you're going to be barren. There's going to be no rain. There's going to be no harvest. Uh, there's going to be difficulty. And you're going to go into captivity by your enemies. So here Hosea is kind of reminding the people that covenant that God had made with them and they had broke with the Lord. And all their wickedness, verse 15, is in Gilgal. For there I hated them because of the evil of their deeds. I will drive them from my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebellious. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, were they to bear children, I would kill the darlings of their womb. My God will cast them away because they did not obey him, and they shall be wonders among the nations. So Gilgal was a place where prophets were trained under Elijah and Elisha. You can read about that in Second Kings, and particularly in chapter 2 and chapter 4. But now it's the center of false worship. Uh, and we will see that mentioned in the book of Amos when we go into the book of Amos. When we finish next week here, Hosea will do Joel, only three chapters, and then we'll go into Amos. And, and he will mention that uh, place as well. They worship Astroth, the goddess of fertility and fruitfulness. But you're going to be barren is what's going to happen. But listen, any time that we worship that which is false and turn to that which is false, trust in that which is false, we're going to find ourselves being barren in our lives and in our souls. There's just going to be barrenness that's going to happen. So I'll drive them away from my house and, and cast them away as the Lord is speaking of the sins of Israel and the judgment that was going to come. And he continues in chapter 10 doing this, that we read in verse 1, Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He has increased the altars according to the bounty of his land. They have embellished his sacred pillars. God had planted Israel in the land. And we've talked about this. We've made mention of this. Isaiah chapter 5, um, God planted a vineyard. And the, the, the unproductive, fruitless vineyard, the disappointing vineyard is explained in Isaiah chapter 5, speaking of the nation, that God had planted them. They were to produce fruit. They are not doing that. They had the choicest vines, this vineyard that is spoken of. Jesus makes mention of it. We saw it just recently in Matthew's gospel. He talks about the, the wicked vine dressers and, and how they killed the servants that were sent and then the heir of the owner of the vineyard. And speaking of Jesus, how they killed him. But they were to, as they were given the best soil, water, a wall all around, God did everything he could do to provide for the vineyard so it would produce fruit but they brought forth wild grapes no good fruits god had blessed israel and there was no fruit they didn't give glory to god they were giving glory to those idols and you see he desires for us to produce fruit in our own lives towards him and the way to do that is to abide in him as we read john's gospel that as you move into you know uh, chapter 16 as you move into chapter 15 to abide in him 
And as we do abide in him personally, in his word, and in his love, we will produce fruit. We can't do it on our own. And listen, God has given everything to us that pertains to godliness in Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God that has been given to us. We have the word of God that we have in our hearts that we are to grow in. And as we do, and as we abide in his word, abide in his love, as it's a work of the Spirit in our lives, we should be producing fruit unto the Lord. Keep in mind that Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesian uh, believers in chapter 2, verse 10, I love that verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are created for, to be his workmanship, um, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has prepared a good work for you, and you are his workmanship. His poem is the Greek word, and many of you know this. You are his poem, and, and he desires for you to do those good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So walk in what God has for you. And, and he created you for his good pleasures, is what the scripture says. In that heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 4, again, right before uh, the scrolls taken out of the hand uh, of the Father by Jesus, that's, that seven-sealed scroll uh, that has been talked about. Uh, Luke talked about it, and, and I mentioned it. But there is the, the, the elders and the four living creatures, and they're worshiping the Lord, saying, that we were created for your good pleasures, Lord, and we were, to, to produce fruit unto him. And without him, he, we can do nothing. And Israel's finding out that they're not abiding in him, and they will not be able to produce fruit at all. And we read in verse 2, their heart is divided. They, and now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. They had a divided heart. Listen, the divided heart is not good. Elijah had rebuked the nation, as you know, in 1 Kings 18. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, you follow him. But a divided heart is an insincere heart. It was the reflection of, of what happened even with Hosea taking a wife. And they had, they had a child. And then she went back to harlotry and had two children of harlotry. Her heart was divided. Uh, she pursued other lovers. And that's why it's important for us to have a loyal heart towards the Lord. Because if we have a divided heart, it's a miserable place to be, first of all, because you're between two opinions. But then you're going to pursue other things. And you're going to pursue the things of the world. So we don't want to have a divided heart. We want to have a sincere heart. We want to have a loyal heart towards the God so we don't go after those things which are false. And that's what was happening here. And for now they say we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. As for a king, what would he do for us? They have spoken words smearing falsely and making a covenant. This judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. Interesting, the king will be able to do nothing in this coming judgment. He won't be able to help you. Those idols aren't going to be able to help you. You're going to lose your king. And they have poisonous plants. That is the hemlock. Uh, hemlock is mentioned again in, in Amos. Amos was a farmer. And it's a poisonous plant. And, and, um, and that's what's going to be the result. Rather than fertile land that I have given to you when I brought you into the into 
the land of Israel. We read in verse 5, the inhabitants of Samaria fear because of the calf of Beth Avon. For his people mourn for it, and his priests shriek for it. Uh, they, they're just shrieking, you know, when somebody shrieks for something, they want it so badly uh, because the glory has departed from it. Uh, the idols uh, also shall be carried to Assyria as a present for King Jerob. Um, and Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. So Beth Avon is mentioned once again to remind you that uh, uh, it means the house of idols. It was called previously Bethel, and it was called by that by Jacob as he had that vision of God and, and, and of, of the Lord and angels ascending and descending on the ladder uh, between heaven and where he was. And he said, God was in this place, and I did not know it. And the Lord reaffirmed the covenant that he had made with uh, his father Isaac and grandfather Abraham. But we know that it's, it meant Bethel, the house of God. And now the kings of Assyria were going to carry away their idol captive. Now verse 6, uh, as we read that, any God that gets carried away, there is a problem. Any God that can be stolen... Uh, again, we see that in the book of, of Judges, the story of how these idols got stolen. There is a problem. There is a problem there. And yet it just shows the foolishness of worshiping idols. Those false gods cannot help you. They have to be toted around. They have to be propped up. They have eyes but can't see. They have ears but they can't hear. They have uh, mouths but they can't speak. They can't do anything for you. The foolishness of turning to those idols and the idol that is stolen by the enemy, that's not a very, you know, uh, very powerful God. It's, well, what it is, is just a piece of wood or, or silver or whatever. Uh, there's only one God. And, and yet they had rejected the creator, the one who is the true God that could help them. And verse 7, as for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig in the water. And of course, we know that if you throw a twig in a stream, it's going to be carried away. And that's what's going to happen to the house of Israel. In the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and thistle shall grow on their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and the hills fall on us. So verse 8 here, the places of idols worship would be destroyed eventually, left desolate. And as we read this, the high places there in, in verse 8 of Avon, um, the high places, they would worship those idols at the high places because it was closer to heaven. They thought that was the place to be. We can get closer to God. And he also mentions here in verse 8, thorns and thistles. That caught my attention because remember in uh, Genesis chapter 3 when uh, God comes along and says, here's the consequences of a fallen creation that there's going to be thorns and thistles because of your sin. And, and now because of their sin, thorns and thistles are going to be throughout the land. Uh, the curse of fallen man. And then also what caught my attention in verse 8 is they shall say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills fall on us. And that might ring a bell with some of you because remember Revelation chapter 6 when a sixth seal is opened up, uh, what we see is there's this cosmic disturbance. There's this geologic upheavals. Mountains are going to be moved and it tells us in verse 15, I'll read it to you, Revelation chapter 6, 
that the rich man, the commanders, the mighty man, every slave and every man free hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountain and said to the mountains uh, and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's an amazing verse. So all the mighty men of the world are going to say, hide us and fall on us. That's what they're saying here. The king's not going to be able to help. He's going to say, hide us, fall on us. And, the, and um, you know, nothing is going to help. For Samaria, her king is cut off. But let's continue here in verse 9. That, O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. Uh, there they stood. The battle of Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. When it is my desire, I will chasten them. People shall be gathered against them when I bind them for their two transgressions. So two transgressions. Jeremiah, you remember in Jeremiah chapter 2, he said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken, number one, the fountain of living waters, and then second of all, they've hewn for themselves broken cisterns. Broken cisterns that, that can't hold water. Jesus wants to give us living water. And, and he says, come and drink of me, you who thirst, and now of your, your innermost will flow torrents of living water, speaking, of course, of the Holy Spirit. But here they, they made cisterns that, out of the rock that was to hold the water. And they would make it, but it was full of cracks. It, it couldn't hold the water. And they had forsaken the fountain of living waters. They turned from the living God to the false gods. And then once again, Gibeah is mentioned, the days of Gibeah, Judges 19 and, and 20. You can read that and see how evil you know, that, that situation was, how dark it was in the days of the Judges. And then verse 11, Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain. But I will harness her fair neck. I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. So because of their sin, yoked to sin, they're going to do hard work and go into captivity. And they've yoked themselves to that sin. And it's going to be very, very difficult. Now compare that to Jesus, who on that hillside, remember he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come learn of me, and you'll have rest for your souls. For I'm gentle and lowly, and, and he goes on to say, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. His yoke is easy. Yoke yourself to the Lord. The yoke of the world and the yoke of sin is hard, and it is burdensome. It is heavy. And Jesus says, Come learn of me. Come to me personally. You'll find rest for your soul. And as you do, you're going to see that my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So different than what the world has to offer uh, people. Sow for yourselves righteousness, verse 12. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. It was Jeremiah that he told the people, You're, the Lord says, break up the, the fallow ground of your hearts. You, you know, Don't just scratch it. It needs to be plowed up. It needs to be plowed up so the word of God can get there, the seed of the word. Uh, but don't have a hardness of heart as, as he speaks to them. Uh, they uh, had a hard heart towards the Lord. And you plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way. In the multitude of uh, your mighty men. Therefore, tumult shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be plundered, as shall men plundered Beth Arbel in the day of battle. A mother dashed in pieces upon her children. 
Thus shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great wickedness. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. So again, Israel had sown the seed of wickedness and iniquity rather than righteousness. And ruin is going to come because you were trusting in that which is false, trusting in that wickedness, not trusting in the Lord. And then as we, we see here, uh, your fortress shall be plundered. And there was a false security. Proverbs chapter 14 tells us that there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of its way is death. We need to trust in God's way, not in our own way or in the world's way. And you can think this seems right, but you can be sincere about it, but you can be sincerely wrong. And there seems to be a way that's right unto man, but the end of its way is death. And there are many people that we know that they're going to do their own thing, they're going to go their own way, and it's just going to leave just death, just death in their soul. And if they don't turn to Jesus and give their lives to him, it will lead to death eternally for them. They might think, I'll be okay. We talk to people, I'm fine. I'll stand before God. He'll see that I'm a good person. You can be very sincere about it, but it's going to lead to death is what it's going to do. So here, as in verse 14, I wanted to mention this. It's interesting that Beth Arbel in the day of battle, you might want to underline that, because what is Arbel? When we go to Israel, as we look towards the west from the Sea of Galilee, and there's this cliff, there's this valley, and it would lead to Canaan and then eventually to Nazareth. It's a valley that Jesus obviously walked back and forth uh, as he went from Nazareth, he went to Canaan, he came to the Galilee region. But our bills, this cliff, and I remember the first time I went to Israel was in the early 90s, and you could go there, you know, there was kind of like a this dirt road, and you went there, not too many people went there, and you could hike up to this cliff, Arbel, and, and that's, you know, when you're around the Sea of Galilee, you look at that cliff and you say, what is that? And, and the tour guide will tell you, that's Arbel. And you can walk there, and today is the parking lot, I think, and you have to pay and, and all of this. A lot of people go up there, but it's a beautiful view of the Sea of Galilee. And look down on Magdala. You can see over there at Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee. It's just a beautiful view, but it was a place where when the Assyrians came, Shennacherib, they took the children of Israel and threw them off that cliff. Um, and it was a place of death and devastation. It, it was very ugly. So as we move into chapter 11, as we finish tonight, we're going to see this, there is this uh, emphasis changes from disobedience to the Father's love for them and continued love for them. And when Israel was a child, I loved him, verse 1, and out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed the Baals and burned incense to carve images. Here it says, when Israel, Israel, my child, my son... I called them out of Egypt. And what we see in this chapter is just a heartbreaking father here reflecting his love for Israel. I brought you out of Egypt 500 years previously. But also as we read this here, that it is fulfilled, as Matthew chapter 2 says, in Jesus when he would return from Egypt back to Nazareth. Remember that Joseph and Mary had to flee with Jesus to Egypt till Herod the Great had died because he was wanting to kill the Messiah. He made that decree to kill all the male children two years and under in Bethlehem. So it was fulfillment of that 
um, and then they would come back to Nazareth. But here he's saying, you're my child. I called you um, my son. I, I called you from Egypt, and I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. My wife and I, Sue and I, in our bedroom, we have an artwork of uh, a Jewish man holding Ephraim, a little child, and he's in his you know, robe, and it's a very special picture, holding him by the arms, teaching him to walk. And, and I think of that picture, and it goes along with this verse here, that you know, when a child begins to walk, you hold him by the arm, and you're walking, and it speaks of tender care, of help, uh, of, of being a loving father. And that's what he wanted to do, to be a loving father to them. Um, the father loves us, and it grieves him. Any of us that are parents that see a child that goes away from the Lord, that becomes a prodigal, it breaks our heart, doesn't it? And know that it breaks the heart of the father as well. And I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. This is a father that heart is breaking. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I, I uh, stooped and fed them. Any of us that are parents, that, that we can relate to this, a love for a child. And how brokenhearted we can be when we see a child that gets away you know, from the Lord and the ways of the Lord and goes the ways of the world involved in sin. It's heartbreaking. And we can understand what was going on in the heart of the father as he saw a nation that was doing this. And he shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king, because they refuse to repent. And the sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me, though they call to the Most High. None at all exalt him. Interesting here. They have backslidden. They called on him in a formal, distant kind of way, but uh, they are not being obedient to him. They're not exalting him. You call me most high, but don't exalt me with your lives and your, with your belief and trusting in me and turning to me. You know, sometimes we can hear politicians say, God bless America, or whoever it might be. And, and it's just, you know, they'll say the name God, or whatever the case might be. Even in the church today, those who will say the name of Jesus, but they don't believe in who Jesus is, his deity. They, you know, don't preach the cross, repentance of sin, any of those things. They'll mention his name, but they don't look to him and, and exalt him in a way that should be exalted and turning to the Lord. How, I give, how can I give you up, O Ephraim, verse 8? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like uh, Adma? How can I set you like Sibolium, my heart churns within me, my sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. It's interesting that there's going to be a remnant that's going to be left, there will be a restoration of the nation. And he will roar and they will, you know, run back trembling from the west. And they will be restored is what they will do. I'm God and not man. The Holy One in your midst 
and I will not come to terror. They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion, as we read here. Again, he roars, the sun shall be trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove in the land of Assyria. And I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. So again, speaking of this restoration, roaring, and they come from the west, and they're going to be restored, and we've talked a lot about that. And Ephraim has encircled me as we finish tonight with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. So um, again, uh, it's Judah's being mentioned here. Uh, it is after Manasseh, or before Manasseh, Hezekiah was ruling. And Hezekiah was a great king. You can read about him in Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Um, he was... A good king. Yeah, it is the Assyrians that came down and circled uh, Jerusalem, and Shennacherib is saying, you know, hurling threats. And Hezekiah and the leadership, they prayed to the Lord, they fasted, and the Lord would defend Jerusalem. He sent an angel to destroy 185,000 Assyrians. You can read about it also in the book of Isaiah. So Hezekiah was blessed of the Lord. He he was one that was a good king, but after. Hezekiah came Manasseh, and Manasseh plunged the nation deep into idol worship to where the Lord finally said, okay, because of the sins of Manasseh, that you, Judah, are going to go off into captivity by the Babylonians. I think what we see here tonight as we close here, remember this, that as we turn away from the Lord, if any of us do that, or a nation, it's just bad news. That the Lord loves us. Read chapter 11, how he, his love for us. Um, how he continues to love us. Even his heart breaking when we backslide. And when we sin, it breaks the heart of the Father. And he desires for us to draw close to him. Because we're like a child. He wants to take us by the hand. you know, And he wants to teach us to walk. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to bless us so much in our lives. And the day that when we make that our own is a blessed day indeed. So, Father, I pray that we would be ones that we desire to just to walk with you, you holding our hands, Lord. You're the one that's our strength. You are almighty God that has brought us out of the world as we come to you, out of Egypt, and we've come to a, a kingdom um, that will last forever, the family of God. You, you want us to have a life, Lord, of, of as they would come into the promised land that you desire to provide for us, to bless us. Um, and Lord, may we look to you and acknowledge you and exalt you in our lives. You've given everything to us that pertains to godliness in Christ Jesus to produce fruit in your lives, to produce fruit for you. For we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And may we walk in them, Lord. And just look to you every day of our lives. Not to stray, have an undivided heart, but a loyal heart towards you. Because your eyes go to and fro across the whole earth, looking to show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards you. And that is a promise that we have. So bless everyone here today. Help us be the watchman on the wall. Lord, to stay close to you. Uh, to be able to just... Um, Enjoy the blessings, the spiritual blessings that you have for us. So, Lord, I thank you for tonight. 
Uh, bless the rest of our week. Looking forward to as we gather on Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday as we continue through the Olivet Discourse.